All right, Revelation chapter 18. I will read for our consideration tonight the first eight verses. So we see in chapter 18, verse 1, After these things I, that is John, saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury." And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. So I think, what was it, two weeks ago, right? We're back on regular schedule. Two weeks ago, May 1st, we looked at the end of chapter 17 as a recap here. Verses 7 through 18, as we saw, uh, the, the section begins, obviously, in chapter 17. This is the fourth of, yeah, no, wait, uh, the fifth. The fifth of seven cycles. The fifth of seven cycles here. And it's the vision of two women, and the focus, of course, is on the first woman, woman primarily, but it's a vision of two women, Babylon and the church. And here we see John gets the vision in verses 1 through 6 of this woman atop this hideous scarlet beast, and then in verses 7 through 18 is the description of that vision. John is called to see the judgment of the great harlot, and the vision he sees describes the great harlot in verses 1 through 6. Uh, the vision is recorded in verses 3 through 6, which again showed a woman who is clothed in scarlet and purple. She is dressed like a harlot. She is dressed alluringly, and she sits atop this great scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. The beast upon which she sits is the same beast from, that we saw in chapter 13 and has also seven heads and ten horns. That's the, the, the connection there. And the woman is described as Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And then verses 7 through 18 mainly explains the vision that John saw. So the, an angel, the angel that, gave, that showed him the vision, now explains to him the vision. And as we said last time in Revelation, oftentimes when John gets a vision and it's explained to him, sometimes the answer gives you more questions than you had before you start off the, the, the vision here. But he spends most of his time 
describing the beast upon which the woman sits. We saw that he describes the beast as something that was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. He describes the seven heads that the beast has, and he describes the ten horns that the beast has. So the beast, which depicts the kingdoms of the earth, which are opposed to God, is something that was and is not. Kingdoms rise and fall. That's what we said. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. The beast has many, many disguises, many, many manifestations in this world. As one kingdom falls, you think maybe the beast is slain, up comes another. Think of the, again, we use the, the example of the ancient legend of the hydra from the Greek myths, right? You cut off one head and two more pop up in its place. Now there will come a final iteration of the beast at the end who comes up out of the bottomless pit and ascends and goes into perdition, goes into destruction. We looked at the seven heads that the beast has. And, uh, and as we noted last time, this requires wisdom. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads tells us that while the beast was and is not, his reign of terror is coming to an end. Five of the seven heads have, have passed away. They have fallen. One currently is, and there's one more left to go. And you know, we looked at some of the possibilities of what these seven heads represent, but the Bible here doesn't tell us what they represent. It just says these seven heads are kingdoms, right? They're kings, and five have fallen. One currently is the one that is there when John is writing, and then there's one more yet to come. And we took that to mean it's like the reign of terror is almost over. Evil will not continue forever. God will bring judgment. Then also the ten heads represent kings of the earth that will be gathered in the, uh, by the final Antichrist beast to make war with the Lamb. We saw these ten kings, they are kings who have not received a kingdom yet. We looked at other passages in which at the end, uh, uh, the kings of the earth will be gathered to battle against the Lamb or against the church. So these are, uh, the, basically the world will be gathered together against the church. And then finally we see the woman's fate, how she will be devoured by the very nations and kings she had earlier seduced with her seductions, with her harlotries. Evil turns on itself. Evil devours her own. The very kings and kingdoms that the harlot had seduced will turn against her and will destroy her. That's her judgment. Now as we head into this passage here tonight, uh, Revelation 18, verses 1-8, through 8, we're going to see here the fall of Babylon. Babylon is the woman. Babylon the Great. We're going to now see her fall. What the second angel of Revelation 14.8 said, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city is now being reaffirmed here in Revelation 18 as well. So as we look at this passage tonight, we've got it broken down into three parts. You're going to see Babylon's fall, Babylon's captives, and Babylon's judgments. Or judgment, just singular, singularly. Babylon's fall, Babylon's captives, and Babylon's judgment. So let's first look at Babylon's fall in verses 1-3. through three. Again, the passage begins with a typical transition phrase, after these things, which just suggests that after the explanation that the angel gave to John about the vision, we're seeing something new here in verse 1. 
After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So another angel comes down out of heaven. Heaven, of course, is the place where God dwells. All these angels are coming out of heaven, or they're coming out of the temple in heaven. They are there in the presence of God. They are receiving their marching orders, and out they come to do what they are called to do. In this case, this angel is called to make a proclamation, and we'll look at that in a moment. But here this angel has great authority, and this stands to reason because this angel has just been in the presence of God out of heaven. He has the authority of God. Again, angels, the very word itself means a messenger, and uh, the angels of God are his servants who carry out his will, and as his servants, they carry his great authority. Uh, A messenger of the king has the authority of the king. And these angels come out with great authority. And when the angel comes, John sees that the whole earth was illuminated with his glory. Of course, angels are glorious beings. They are uh, spiritual beings. Again, because they are in the presence of God, they would have a share of his glory. There's an interesting passage at the end of the book of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 43. Uh, in Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 10, there's a scene in which you see the glory leaving the temple, right? Because of Israel's apostasy, their sin, their great wickedness, uh, the, temp- the, the glory leaves the temple. And then you know, it's a very graphic depiction of the glory leaving the temple of God. Well, at the end of the book, in Ezekiel 43, we see the glory of the Lord returning to the temple. The glory had left earlier, and now it's returning. Now, it might be tempting to see this angel here with great authority who illuminates the earth with his glory as Jesus, but it's not Jesus. We saw this something similar to this in Revelation chapter 10, when you see a great angel come down with a mighty angel who had the little book. Uh, there are some descriptions. He had, a, I think, a rainbow over his head and, and so on and so forth. Uh, some people think, well, that, that sounds like a description of Jesus. Uh, but it's not. It's just a, an angel that is a glorious angel in this case. Here, the same thing. This is just an angel that is a mighty angel, a glorious angel who comes down out of heaven uh, to proclaim something. And that something he has to proclaim, uh, and why not, right? He's described as having authority in lighting up the earth, so he has something important to say, and we see that in verse 2 where he declares, he cries out mightily with a loud voice. You can almost see the redundancy there, right? Cried out mightily with a loud voice. And he says, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So when you see, okay, so you've got this angel. Again, remember, this is a vision. But you've got this angel... He's glorious. When he comes, he lights up the whole world, and he cries mightily with a loud voice. Okay, so in other words, this is a proclamation that's going to be seen and heard by all. He lights up the whole earth, so kind of, you know, when you see a light, you're like, oh, look, a light, right? And then he cries out with a loud voice, so everyone hears this, everyone sees this. And the proclamation is that Babylon the Great, the great harlot, is fallen. She is fallen. As noted earlier, uh, if you could flip back just a couple of pages to Revelation 14.8, we saw this before. 
after the vision of the Lamb with the 144,000, we see three angels make three proclamations. And the second angel makes a proclamation that says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. I'm looking at Revelation 14, verse 8. Because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And here we see this again. Babylon is falling. This is a confirmation of Babylon's demise, of Babylon's fall, of her judgment. Now, what the angel here is saying is something that the prophets of God have been saying for for a long time. (laughs) Something that God has been speaking through the prophets for a long time. Now, we know as we've been looking at Revelation, as we've been going through Revelation, that Babylon is sort of symbolic of world culture and society that is against God, anti-God culture, anti-God society. She tempts people, right? You know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of living. It is this world, the world that is set up against God, the world system that is set up against God is Babylon, and she is anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-church. But that symbolism of Babylon is drawn from the Old Testament in which the kingdom of Babylon was the kingdom that what? What did Babylon do in the Old Testament? She, right, Babylon came in and conquered Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and destroyed Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple, and took her people captive. The kingdom of Babylon enacted God's judgment on her people for their sin. She, you know, Babylon came in, like I said, destroyed and leveled the city of Jerusalem, decimated the temple, and took her people captive. Babylon marks the beginning of the beast. Again, if you recall from Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has that dream, and he can't interpret it, and when Daniel interprets the dream for him, part of that dream is he has this dream of a statue that is made out of four types of metal, and the head, which was made out of gold, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold is you, O king. Nebuchadnezzar, the king representing the kingdom of Babylon, it is the first of the manifestations of the beast, if you will. Again, Daniel 7, the first beast that comes out is the lion, and many people perceive that to be Babylon. Now, when Babylon had taken her, the, the people of God captive, the prophets, mostly Isaiah, Jeremiah, a lot of them, all predicted the fall of Babylon. The prophets predicted in those days the fall of Babylon. So, Hold your place here. We're going to look at a few passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah. So turn to Isaiah 13. And we'll look at verses 19 through 22 of Isaiah 13. So in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 19, we see here the prophet says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms... The beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. 
But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels, and jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. So here, this is a prophecy. Isaiah prophesies that Babylon's days are numbered. Babylon, who came in and uh, conquered the people of God, they too will be conquered. Particularly, verse 19, she will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. What was left of Sodom and Gomorrah when God was done with it? Not a heck of a lot. (laughs) Not a heck of a lot. You know, it was a thriving city in the valley, and then when God was done, it was a smoking ruin. I think it eventually became the Salt Sea, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was pretty destructive. (laughs) Right? Pretty final. That's Babylon. Babylon's going to be like that. Now flip over to Isaiah 21. Isaiah 21 and verse 9. And look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. And again here, Babylon is fallen, echoing what we see in the book of Revelation these prophecies from the Old Testament. Babylon, the kingdom, is fallen, is fallen. God is going to overthrow her gods. Again, remember, right? There are no other gods but Jehovah, but God is going to overthrow their gods. It kind of reminds me of the story of in 1 Samuel, right? When the ark is taken because of the evil of Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's son, two sons, and the ark is taken. The Philistines capture the ark and they're like, we've got the God of Israel. We're going to bring him into our temple. So they bring him into the temple of Dagon, right? So there he is in the temple of Dagon. Then the priests come back the next day and Dagon's statue is flat on his face. And they're like, hmm, that's peculiar. I wonder how that happened. So they set the statue back up. And then they come back the next day. Dagon is not only flat on his face, but his hands and his, heads have been remo- his, hands and his head have been removed. And they're like, Okay, this is not a coincidence. That's what, it's like we need to get rid of this. And all of a sudden, the whole people of Palestine, you know, of the Philistines in that city are plagued with boils and rats and all that stuff. So they're like, okay, we'll call the next city over. We'll give the ark to them. And so now they're playing like hot potato with the ark as it's going from city to city to city. And finally they say, we need to get this back to the Jews. Okay, this, this thing is killing us. God is not going to be toyed with. You cannot mock God. God is not going to be... Uh, compared to any other of our gods, they will be destroyed. All right, now flip over to Isaiah 34. Starting in verse 11. So Isaiah 34, verse 11. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. This is Babylon. And also the owl and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out over it. Verse 12, they shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all its princes shall be nothing. Verse 13, and thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard of ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also, The night creature shall rest there, 
and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow snake shall make her nest and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall be the hawks, uh, shall the hawks be gathered, everyone to her mate. So here again, you have Babylon as a desolation, and it becomes the habitation of all these wild animals. Apparently, ostriches were very uh, running rampant in the Middle East. <laughs> I would imagine, though, in a lot of cases, what you see in the English here may not exactly translate to what we, you know, the, you know, just sometimes they just don't know what to call these words. They just throw an English word. It's like this. We're not sure. But bottom line is here, Babylon will be judged. It'll become a habitation of animals. It'll become a habitation of animals. Then one more passage. Flip over to Jeremiah, which should be the next book. In Jeremiah chapter 50, near the end. In verse 39. Again, this is a judgment on Babylon. The whole chapter, 50, it's 46 verses of judgment against Babylon. So chapter 50, verse 39, the prophet Jeremiah speaks... Therefore the wild desert beast shall dwell there, Babylon, with jackals, and the ostriches shall dwell in it. It shall be inhabited no more forever, nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, so no one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. All right, are you sensing a theme here? <laughs> right? The prophets have all talked about the fall of Babylon, how it will be completely and utterly destroyed. And that's the imagery that that is that John or that you know that Revelation is drawing upon from this Old Testament imagery. Because of this great devastation to Babylon, it will be deserted, and demons and birds and wild animals will inhabit it. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm, you might have seen this. You might have seen this movie. Do you like Charlton Heston movies? Yeah. Anybody see Omega Man? Okay, just one. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> Omega Man. It's a, it's a dystopian movie, right? So it's an end-of-the-world movie. There's like an end-of-the-world apocalyptic type of disease that has run rampant and has taken over most of the people. And Charlton Heston is one of the few that are left alive. And the movie opens, and he's driving this Mustang through... I forget, is it Los Angeles? I think it's uh, a big city. L.A., New York, doesn't matter. And he's driving this, this Mustang through the streets of, of the city, and it's deserted. And so he's just like, you know, going through the city real fast. And the city is overgrown. I mean, there's like, like trees and things, and uh, just like what happens when you let a city go to pot. And there's wild animals running around the city. And that's what he's doing. He's actually hunting Wild animals that are running around the city. Of course, there's other things in the city, too, that are a little more dangerous than wild animals. But the point is, that's what happens to Babylon here. It, it kind of becomes like a real-life version of Omega Man. It's a picture of judgment on Babylon as it becomes a dwelling place of demons and a prison for foul spirits. The prophecy from Jeremiah even speaks of Babylon becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were reduced to rubble and ash by God's fire of judgment. And so too will Babylon become a desolate wilderness. Flip back to Revelation 18. 
So that's the angel's declaration. Babylon has fallen. And he gives the reason why in verse 3. For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So here, what do you see in verse 3 here? You see drunkenness. You see fornication. You see greed. Again, this is what we saw in Revelation 14, verse 8. Babylon is the great harlot. She seduces kings and nations, people, great and small, with her lures. If you remember when we looked at the first six verses of 17, the great lures of Babylon are fame, wealth, power, fornication, all these things. That's what Babylon tempts people with. And the people are drunk on it. It means they've they've imbibed too much of it to the point where they are literally drunk on these wickednesses, on these sins. This is what Babylon offers. The world, through culture and society, lures people away from God and into sort of an orgy of debauchery. And it is for this that Babylon will fall. Babylon is being judged for this, this evil world system. Now, I say this, clearly though, there are many things in society and culture which are good, right? I mean, we we enjoy the benefits of technology. We're here in this building enjoying the benefits of climate control, right? It is an air-conditioned building, and it would be miserable in the middle of the summer if we were in here without any air conditioning. Uh, We enjoy the benefits of, you know, vehicular travel, right? You people who are out in the farms, if you didn't have cars, you'd have to come in probably, what, by horse and, <laughs> horse and buggy? <laughs> so, there are many things that are good about society, but again, man, because he's fallen, takes God's good gifts, and what does he do with it? He perverts them. He perverts them. He corrupts them. Turns them into sinful extremes, right? God gives us marriage, and man corrupts that by turning into all kinds of adulteries and fornication. So all these things that are, that are you know, God-given goodnesses in this world, man through his fall and through, this, through his corruption perverts them to sinful extremes. So now looking at verses 4 and 5, that's Babylon's, the announcement of Babylon's fall here in verses 1 through 3. Now we're going to look at Babylon's captives as the announcement goes forth about Babylon's voice fall, sorry, we see a voice, or hear a voice, you don't see voices, you hear a voice from heaven crying out, look at verses 4 and 5, John says, I heard another voice, so it's not the angel, because the angel's crying out, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. All right, whose voice is this? I think the answer, I mean, yes, it's not capitalized, but we have to understand <clears throat> the New King James translators are not infallible, um, and there was no capitalization in the Greek. So this, that's an interpretive decision that the translators make. I think it's God speaking. It's a voice from heaven. Who's in heaven? God. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could be an angel, I suppose, um, but, you know, again, my people, I, I, 
I mean, bottom line is we don't know, right? I, I argue it's God. The point is, a voice is coming from heaven saying, come out of her, come out of Babylon, my people. What we learn here from this is that God spares his people from judgment. God spares his people from judgment. Now, there's a, an important distinction here to make. Christians, the people of God, are not spared from trials and tribulations. The Bible's very, very, very clear on that, right? James 1, verse 2. Count on all joy, not if you face various trials, when you face various trials. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, the world hates me, it's also going to hate you. So we are not spared from trials and tribulations. We are told, in fact, to expect them. We are told to expect them. That's what Peter says. Do not be surprised. (laughs) Do not be shocked when the fiery trial comes upon you. One of my favorite verses, I, I, I quote it quite often, is John 16.33. Jesus tells his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. And then he says what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. The hope is not that we are going to be spared the trials. The hope is that with Jesus we can face the trials. Psalm 23.4, when you go through the, shadow of the, valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It would be really great if, if we could avoid the valley of the shadow of death. If Jesus said, follow me and you will never, ever, ever enter into the valley of the shadow of death, that would be wonderful, but that's not what he says. He says, go into the valley of the shadow of death, but you will fear no evil because I am with you. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So we are not spared from trial and tribulation, but we are spared from judgment. And why is that? Why are we spared from judgment? Now you can give the Sunday school answer. Because of Jesus. We are spared from judgment because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who, is, who, who appeared slain, has taken our judgment for us. He was judged in our place, so we don't have to be judged. He was forsaken, so we don't have to be forsaken. He was afflicted, so that we don't have to be afflicted. Jesus took our judgment. Oftentimes in Revelation, we've seen judgment falling on, as the book calls them, those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth is a long sentence that's code for the wicked, unbelievers, those who are not in the book of life. Those who dwell on the earth are the wicked, and judgment is always falling on them in the book of Revelation. Yet the people of God are spared. And here we see judgment getting ready to fall on Babylon, and God calls his people to come out of her, lest they share in her fate. Again, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah keeps running through my mind here because you know, not only does the Old Testament make reference to it, but the language here is almost like what you see in Genesis, right? So, you know, of course, that's the classic biblical example of this. The judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> you have the two angels who were, <clears throat> excuse me, with God when they appeared to Abraham. And they uh, go to, uh, the two angels are sent to Sodom, and they go to Lot. Lot is in Sodom. Right? It's kind of like that poor example, right? When In Genesis 13, when Abraham's standing there and he's at the land, he's like, Look, he goes to his nephew, he's like, 
we've got a lot of flocks here, and, and our, 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 our uh, sheep, you know, our shepherds are sort of fighting with one another. So we need to separate. So I'll st- we'll stand here. It's like you pick, pick a place you want to go. And, and Lot looks and sees the valley is very fertile, sees, sees the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah there. It's like Lot says, I'll go there. I'm getting first pick. I'm going to go where the cities are. Right? And, and Abraham is then given the promised land. But Lot chooses to go, in a sense, into Babylon. <clears throat> he goes into the world. And, and, and what happens to Lot? Well, he's kind of compromised, right? When the angels come and the, he brings the angels in and the people of Sodom are banging themselves against the door saying, give us the men who are with you. And, and what does Lot do? It's like, here, take my virgin daughter. And you're like, what are you doing, Lot? <laughs> Yet the Bible calls him a righteous man. Not because of it. <laughs> Obviously not for anything he's done. Lot was compromised by living in Sodom. So the two angels go there to warn Lot and say, come, you need to leave because God is going to rain fire down upon you. Gather your wives and your sons and their wives and and let's go, get out of here. Of course, another example of this is is with the Israelites in Egypt. Whenever God rained judgment and plagues and sent the plagues to the Egyptians, oftentimes you hear the phrase, but in the land of Goshen, the, the plagues did not fall. Right? The darkness was not in the land of Goshen. The hail did not fall in the land of Goshen. God knows how to spare his people from wrath, from his judgment. And here, though, given what Babylon represents, it's especially urgent that the people of God leave, <laughs> leave Babylon before the judgment comes. Again, referencing Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to Lot's wife? Right? She turned into a big pillar of salt. Why? Because her heart yearned for Sodom, right? They're leaving Sodom, and she's like, oh, my home, and she turns and zap. You know, that's the idea. You know, we're going to look at this verse in a little bit, but, you know, do not love the world or the things of the world, right? That's what 1 John two fifteen through 17 says. So here, an angel, God, someone, a voice out of heaven, says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and receive of her plagues. Now, okay, I'm going to go off on a tangent here a little bit. Now you can see the looks in your faces. Oh, no, he's going off on a tangent. Don't worry, it's, a, it's an organized tangent. Here's where I'm going to take some exception with some people in the reform circles. Within, reformed, within the Reformed community, there are basically two understandings of the millennium. Now, we're not at the millennium yet. That's chapter 20. You're going to have to wait until we get there, until we discuss the millennium in detail. But within Reformed circles, typically you get two views, two camps. There's the all-millennial view, and then there's the post-millennial view. Uh, the amillennial view basically sees this period of time that we're looking at here in Revelation, uh, the 42 months, the two, 1260 days, as the church age, as the millennium. The postmillennialists will see something different. Now, there might be some Reformed who are classic pre-mill, classic premillennials. I don't think there's very rarely will you see anyone who in Reformed circles who is dispensational premill. Like I said, we'll wait to discuss the millennium in more detail when we get to Revelation 20. But here's where I'm going to take 
some exception with our post mill brothers and sisters because there, there, are, there are kind of a lot of them in the reform camp. Because the post mill view says that as the gospel is going forth, as the kingdom is advancing, the world is going to become more and more Christianized. And then all of a sudden, you're in the millennium, and then you're in this kind of golden age, this golden age in which uh, righteousness and peace sort of, you know, uh, they, they abound in this period of time. And then when Christ returns post-millennium, after the millennium, he basically returns to a house that is sort of put in order. Okay, so this idea of the post-mill, whenever you see things going rosy in the world, when things are looking great in the world, then the post-mills sort of, sort of come out and they're saying, here we are, we're, you know, the millennium is coming upon us. And then something bad happens, then sort of like Homer Simpson backing into the, into the trees, the post-mills kind of disappear from the scene for a while and they go underground. Because it's, you know, their, their view is like you kind of progress until you get to this golden age. So this is where I'm going to take them to task because here I believe that the post mill obviously is overly optimistic and I think it suffers from what I would call an over-realized eschatology. In other words, they bring way too much of the age to come into this age. Paul in Galatians 4, or Galatians 1 verse 4 I should say, calls this age this evil age. This evil age. And they are bringing too much of the age to come the future state, the eternal state, they're bringing that into this age. That's what the post-mills kind of do. And the exception I wish to take is this passage here seems to suggest that the church, like those who were taken captive by Babylon, are in exile. Right? What does God, or what does the voice out of heaven say, come out of her, my people? Where are they? They're in Babylon. Right? Babylon has fallen. Judgment's going to fall upon that. Come out of her, my people. As judgment comes, God's people are called to come out of Babylon. The church is often described, at least in my view, as a pilgrim people. We are a people without a home. Right? Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20. Right? We are strangers in a strange land. Peter calls us sojourners. He calls us Exiles, elect exiles in First Peter. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but not of this world. We are not at home in this world. As the old song goes, right? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right? That's, that's the idea here. St. Augustine, the ancient church father from late 300s to like early 400s, spoke of this in a book he called The City of God in which there's conflict between the city of God and the city of man, a spiritual warfare. This is also spoken of by those who advocate for a two kingdoms view in which the people of God, who are citizens of the kingdom of God, exist in this kind of common kingdom. We are, in a sense, resident aliens. We are, our, again, our citizenship is not in this world. We are resident aliens in this world. We are citizens of heaven waiting to be called out. And that's what God does here. He calls us out of Babylon, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. In other words, the time is now, right? The time is now. God's patience has reached its end. Judgment is coming. The iniquity of, of, 
of Babylon has finally reached up to heaven and God is remembering her sins. And of course now, God's people must leave. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get out of Dodge. That's kind of what's going on here. And don't look back like Lot's wife. Alright, so those are Babylon's captives. The church is sort of an exile people. We are strangers in a strange land, so we are called to come out as judgment is about to come. Again, because God is protecting his people from final judgment. Judgment's coming upon this world, and God is going to call his people out. So as we come to Babylon's judgment now in verses 6 through 8, I want us to keep in mind one thing as we look at these verses here, and this, it's this. God will repay the wicked for their sins. That's, if you look at verses 6 through 8, that's what you're seeing there. God will repay the wicked for their sins. Now you look at our world now, and justice, when it's ever practiced, is often incomplete. It's imperfect. You know, you, if you, I've been watching a, a cop show, right? And there was a line in there in which, you know, judgment comes in stages, right? You know, sometimes you don't get perfect justice. Sometimes you have to take the deal in order to arrest the criminal. Sometimes you have to plea someone down in order to get a bigger prize or something like that. Justice in this age is imperfect. The wicked get away with their sin. Full justice is never fully meted out in this world. And even in the best of societies, justice will never be perfect. But not so with God, right? Not so with God. How many people will escape God's justice? Zero. Zero people will escape God's justice. No one will escape God's justice, and that's what we see in verses 6 through 8, where we read, Render to her, that is Babylon, just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. And am widow, I'm no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. What does one day suggest? Quickly. It'll come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Again, all throughout this age, the age we're in, this evil age, the wicked seem to prosper. The wicked seem to prosper. We saw earlier, right? The, the woman is drunk on what? She is drunk on the blood of the saints. The martyrs of the saints. Saints are martyred. Babylon the great harlot drinks their blood in her cup full of abominations. Where's the justice? The justice comes in that whatever Babylon has done, double will be paid to her. Whatever Babylon has meted out, double will be given to her, Right? So we see here, mix double for her. The cup in which she has mixed, mix double for her. Repay her double according to her works. Babylon will be paid double for her works. Judgment is always based on works. What she has made others to drink, she will drink twice that amount. Again, consider what we've seen earlier in Revelation. Revelation 14, verse 10, talks about here, 
how, where is it? There it is. Where he himself also shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's the beast, right? The beast will be judged. He will drink the full strength of the cup of God's indignation. Chapter 16 and verse uh, 19. Again, we see here, And now the great city, Babylon, which was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. She drinks the blood of the martyrs, and she will then drink the wrath of God will come down upon her. And if you look again at verse 7, right here, uh, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure will be given her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am widow no more and will not see sorrow. To me, it kind of reminds me of Matthew 16 or 6.19, right? Um, if you um, build up treasures on this earth, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth destroys and eats and rust destroys and, and thieves break in and steal. Here, you know, Babylon is seen as luxurious. She lives luxuriously. She glorifies herself. And she sits here and she says, I am a queen and am no widow. She will never see sorrow. She's living for this world, right? That's the whole point of that Matthew 6, 19 passage. Don't lay up for yourselves the world's treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves the things of this world. Why? Because this world's passing away. Right? It's going to end. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be eaten, stolen. It's going, to, it's going to corrupt. And so it is with those who seek for treasure in this life, in this world. The treasures of this age are fading. They are corruptible. And Babylon is representative of culture and society of this world as opposed to God. The people of this world think culture and society will continue. Right? We'll, the party will just keep going on. We'll continue to progress Every, you know, we'll continue to have parties, we'll be rich, and we'll, we'll just live the lifestyles of the rich and famous. The good times will never end. We will continue to flourish. But the truth of the matter is that she, Babylon, will be utterly burned with fire, just like Sodom. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Right? Peter in his second epistle talks about how this world will be sort of reborn and renewed and recreated out of fire. Fire will come and destroy all these things. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the Bible talks about the world and the things of the world in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Where John there writes, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's what Babylon is, the love of the world. The love of the things that are not of God. The, 
the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That is Babylon. But guess what? It's passing away. The things of this world will not last. The things of this world will not continue on forever. This world is passing away. Babylon is going to be judged. The people of God must come out of Babylon or they too will pass away, right? That's what John says. Come out of Babylon. Come out of her lest you share in her sins. Well, that's, that's what we have here for Revelation 18, verses 1-8. through 8. Next time, it's going to be in three weeks because we've got five Sundays this, this month. So the next time will be June 5th. June 5th, Lord willing. Unless He calls us home. <laughs> then I don't have to worry about studying for this. That would be great. But uh, until then, I'm going to work as though I have to study for this. Uh, so next time, June 5th, um, we'll... Just pick up in verse 9. I'm not sure how far we're going to go. I haven't decided yet. But we'll, pick, we'll start in verse 9. How's that? <laughs> I mean, basically, what you've got in the next section here is now the world mourns the fall of Babylon, right? The, the world system is breaking up. It's falling apart. And the world mourns it. It mourns its passing. It's, you know, so that's kind of what you see here. Uh, so we'll stop here.